Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 316, episode 3 of Daily Zeitgeist! Yeah! It's a production of iHeartRadio, and it's a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's share, 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 share consciousness. I'm having, share, this share. is the second stutter that I've had already. It it's Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. Yep, that means uh, it's National Gaspacho Day. It's St. Yeah. Nicholas Day. It's National wow, Day of Remembrance and Action my lips. <laughs> on Violence yeah. Against Women Day. It's National Miners, like the people who mine shit day. Uh, shout out to Pond Brokers because it's your day also. And also fucking Mitten Tree Day. I don't know what yeah. Mitten Tree Day is, but uh, I don't know. I guess you collect mittens and you hang them on the Christmas tree and then hand them out to those in need. I'd imagine the people that need them would probably want them immediately rather than being like let me adorn my tree with these mittens someone would need mm. but here we are mitten day mitten and aren't day. the pawn bro the pawn stars really the modern day miners when you think about it mining yeah. for gold or fences personal storage yeah whatever it is they do it my name is jack o'brien <laughs> aka Bang you sure look like Cotton Eye Joe. My friend left here a long time ago. Where'd your tooth come from? Where did he go? <laughs> tooth transformed him to Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> that is courtesy of No Clue. Where'd your tooth come from? <laughs> Where'd that tooth come from, man? Where'd it go? Talking about the transformative nature. We've talked about wig acting before. Mm -hmm. But tooth acting. Yeah. And tooth acting? Tough acting, tooth acting. Tooth acting, mm -hmm. truly so, some amazing tooth acting happening in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. And just made me realize that tooth acting from the very time, from the first time I saw someone put a little black thing over their tooth 
up through Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Killers of the Flower Moon. It always gets me. It yeah. fools me every single time. <laughs> like, wait, that's not Leonardo. That guy is ugly, man. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio? That's not I'm my gompers. dream boat. Would you call them gompers or something? Gompers, I think. <laughs> but gompers might be better. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's an impression. It's poetic license. I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. It's Miles Gray, a.k.a. Those are dinosaurs. They're huge balls. Those are dinosaurs. They're <laughs> huge balls. Those are dinosaurs. They're huge balls. That's why they're so big. Yes. They're dino balls. Or they're just a guy's balls. <laughs> Actually, that's what it should be. But shout out to Pato Sand on the Discord who gave me that uh, They Might Be Giants rework. Because they are giant. They femur. might be giants' balls. Yeah. Uh, is what they thought. They I said. think Those... they did in a parenthetical. Yes. Yes. Many jokes. Anyways. Miles, we're thrilled to be joined in our third seat by one of our favorite guests here on the Daily Zeitgeist. Uh, You know him from the podcast This Day in Esoteric Political History in the past, you know, good sport from Ted and Pushkin, 30 for 30 for ESPN, the 538 Politics podcast going way back, but that's where Mm -hmm. I first heard him. He's the lead producer of The Puzzler, a very fun puzzle podcast. He's building a puzzle empire it's Jody Abergay! It is very nice to be here, though. I will say I would very happily just let you do intros and never actually get folded into the conversation. <laughs> just keep going. Do you, have you ever done that? Just, just do intro. it for 45 minutes. One day. Oh, we should. We could try. I mean, it's it's not, not too far off that we have an episode. You know, I was entering like a nice little fugue state here, just watching yeah. you guys do your thing. Uh, <laughs> and that is what we aim for. Yeah. yeah. Fugue uh, states where you lose all track of your past and future. And you're just mm-hmm. like, hey, what? what a, cu- a couple notes. Thank you for clarifying that it was minors, not minors. Yeah. Okay. So that would be a weird, very weird holiday. Yeah. yeah. And also, I'm realizing as you introduced me there that making a show called The Puzzle Podcast is just really, it's fun for us producers in audio. Yes. The, the, the so is it called The Puzzle heavier. Podcast? It's called the, the puzzler? it's called The Puzzler. But okay. then, uh, you know, you just say the variations of the word puzzle a lot, and then you puzzle. say podcast a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Pop. A lot of popping. Pop a lot that of popping. puzzler. Yeah. Pop mm-hmm. that puzzler. Listeners love this stuff, by the way. <laughs> they do. They're like, yeah. more Ripping nonsense, yeah. please, just don't give me content. Uh, well, unfortunately, we will give you content. It's art. Jody, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell okay. our listeners a couple of things that we're talking about. ACAB does include COP28 as well. <laughs> COP28 continues to make a mockery of our climate crisis. Uh, the COP conference still yeah. out here doing it. Yeah. <laughs> just... Just being like, yeah, climate change for sure. So y'all want to do some oil deals or what? <laughs> right. So wow. Wow. we'll talk about just broad strokes, what's going on over there. It, it leaves something to be desired. We'll we'll talk about what that thing, what that something is. George Santos on Cameo. Mm-hmm. He has taken a page from Rudy Giuliani's poorly photocopied pamphlet and is now selling personalized videos on Cameo. We're going to talk about people's living situations. We're going to talk about Bass Pro Shops. Hmm. 
You know, it's basically, you may know them as your local gun museum, but others (laughs) know them as Bass Pro Shops. So we're going to talk about that, why why those stores that you see when you're driving on the highway maybe have been to. I've been told they're a lot of fun to to visit every once in a while. Uh, Why those are taxpayer funded, all of that plenty more. But first, Jody, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? I will just present to you the actual last thing that I Googled, yes. which is... Love it. Verbatim. <laughs> why is it called constant comment T? Mm-hmm. Do you know the T, constant comment? Constant comment It's this like, it's a tea. tea blend. It's kind of a black tea with a little orange rind in it. Uh, they yes. serve it at this coffee shop that I that I often work at, that I was working at this morning. And I really love it. It's It's wonderful been like year a couple years of me being really into it and then i finally stopped and just looked at the actual name and i and you know it's got me thinking a lot about i i've come to really be a believer in like a good name is really really powerful and yeah it's it's a fantastic name constant comment because it sounds normal you know it rolls off the tongue it's got some nice like nice hard consonants and then for and then today for the first time i was like wait what does it actually mean and i (laughs) think that's a really nice thing about a name that it can just kind of immediately just be its own sort of universe of I mean, meaning. Whatever it means, whoever it. created it was an SEO master. So uh, probably <laughs> studdled in the school of Google, on Google's campus for many years. Go yeah. ahead. Who created it, you ask? Well, Ruth <laughs> Bigelow. Campbell Bigelow in yeah. 1945. She created oh, Constant Common Tea. She was unhappy with a variety of teas on the Ahead market, so she time. created a blend of black tea and orange rind and spices and inspired by an early colonial era recipe. The new flavor was so popular among her friends that it received, quote, constant comments, therefore oh. giving the tea its name. Mm. Wow. I like great how backstory, they, great tea. Yeah. And yeah. I like just sort of like the Fun to say. Of cleverness of the naming. It reminds me of like how they name weed. It's like, yeah, <laughs> this one, dude, it's like constant giggles, bro. Cause when you hit that <laughs> shit, everybody's be fucking laughing the whole time. Like, oh, yeah. the very, very yeah. nice blend you have here of Indica yeah. and Sativa. Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned this. I randomly just came across like on, like on Twitter or something, an ad from Bigelow Tees, like from like it was like a message from the founder of Bigelow Tees. Well, you're about to turn forty, and they just they come yeah, right they, know, they know, <laughs> they know. Then I'm like, they've huh? got a clock on every one <laughs> yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah they're just like they count that clock at Bigelow yeah. headquarters. They're like, yeah. take that Wu Tang jersey off, and here's a cup of Bigelow tea, you old warm man. Embrace it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But I just, yeah, so I, that, it's it's funny that now I'm having the Bigelow Tea message be reinforced in multiple ways now. Yeah. If you have room in some future episode or even just when we're just chatting, not on a podcast, one of the greatest stories I ever know is about the naming of a of a product. And I will tell it at some point or I can do it as a bonus at some point. But, you know, it takes well, a little well, bit. Well, bonus. It, okay. All right. The, the idea that teas were the original weed strain is interesting because didn't they <laughs> used to call weed tea? Like, wasn't that a thing? I think in... One of those like early 20th century novels, I think they keep referring to weed as tea, maybe like on the road or something like that. Oh, interesting. Oh, so right. the the connection runs deep. Yeah. Uh, no, it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have no idea. Well, that all makes sense. It Hot all makes damn. Sense. Yeah. There you go. Jody, what's something you think is overrated? Well, can I combine my overrated and underrated and, and, and ask you to pinpoint where we stand here? And I, and yes. I, and I like this podcast to be able to have these kinds of conversations sure. I can't have with some other folks, but Tyrese Halliburton. Oof. Tyrese Where Halliburton. is he on that undulating, overrated, underrated 
NBA hype. Based on what he's I saw. Underrated. Based on still underrated? Yeah. He's under. Like (laughs) his rating is undulating. Yeah. Undulating. Very good. Very good. Wow. Look at you, Constant. Yeah. I mean, I watched, uh, (laughs) I actually watched like a lot of that game against the Celtics. And I was blown away by his performance there. And just like his stats right now are pretty, they're, they're solid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, so I, so, so he kind of is like the, at least before this season in the offseason, you know, for people who are like in the NBA fantasy leagues, he was the kind of like classic, like his stats are incredible. He's going to go super high. But, you know, is he just a stat guy and whatever? And then I, you know, yeah. I sort of like had, to, had dismissed him as that and sort of had this little antagonistic like. And then, you know, I kind of I read a great long profile of him in the ESPN the magazine. And it was like, oh, he's like, a, seems like a real good dude. And then, yeah, he's played a couple national games where it's like, oh, my God, he is legit. And, you know, yeah. last night was his big, I think, breakout performance where people are talking about him as the next kind of big superstar. But I will also say, and this is why it straddles both lines for me, aesthetically, something about his game yeah. is a Weird. little janky to me. Yeah. Yes. Like his yep. shot starts like at the chest and then like pops up. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Which not, is, I don't watch it and get and get that thrill that I watch when I watch other great players, like Steph I, shoot or something like that. Yeah, yeah or, yeah, or yeah. Ja or whoever, or Kyrie. You know, and it's like, but you know, usually most great players, there's also an aesthetic appeal in addition to like they're just really effective, right? Right. And he's got this weird disconnect on that front for me. And maybe you know, if I watch him enough, I'll just come to appreciate his janky style. But even when he's dribbling, I'm like, the limbs are just going at like slightly different angles. I don't know what it is. And so now I'm like, I'm. I'm I'm roiling as you can tell, right? Yeah, um, with the un- underrated uh, <laughs> yeah. roller coaster that I'm You're riding right now with underrating yeah. him. Yeah, because some of the shots he put up, I was definitely like, "Is that? Are you are you sure? You're about not supposed that? to do and that. Was, <laughs> yeah, you don't like, want splash. that guy shooting." And I was splash. like, "Okay, okay, yep, 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 yep." I love an ugly shot. You don't get a lot of them in the NBA, right? You know, Sean Marion was like a solid, deep, <laughs> yeah. long range shooter who shot it like. He was, he just someone threw him a basketball that he and he never picked one up and they were like try right. try and shoot try and shoot like yeah. a person you know nobody told him how to shoot basically but yeah. and he's got he's got one of those ugly shots I had an ugly shot when I was playing basketball so I always <laughs> so you're two an the, ugly the two shooter. comps that came to mind were Sean Marion and you. Right. And me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, in the basketball NBA. savant here. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody who has made it this deep and stuck to their yeah. ugly guns with their game. <laughs> I would say, have you watched Shea Gilgis Alexander play mm-hmm. much? His game is also like his shot isn't ugly, but it's not pretty either. Right. And his game is it's like a lot of off-speed pitches. It's a lot of like herky-jerkiness. Yeah. And those are probably the two best young guards yeah. in the NBA. So like right. I feel like there's something where people are figuring out like a way to model their game so that it's not well just jump over everybody. And, and the best like, player in the world is someone who I like delight in how ugly his game is, right? I mean, so yeah, so yeah, it's true. Like between Jokic and those two, we're, yes. are we like entering an era of the just like absurdly janky looking shot or yeah. mo- body movement, which feels weird, right? You'd think that like the the mar- the that what is the arc of the a- athletic universe would bend towards grace, right? right. But instead, <laughs> you have this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but this one, like we say on on Jack and Miles, uh, Miles and Jack got mad boosties. Jokic plays uncle ball. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, he has yeah. the energy of an uncle playing with the kids in the driveway, but at a professional, like that's how he's like, bro, I don't have to do much to, to fucking show y'all what's up. And yeah, it's, yeah. this is an interesting stat. That game uh, against the Celtics, Halliburton had a 26, 10, and 13 triple-double. Uh, that stat, stat line or better with zero turnovers, zero turnovers has only occurred seven other times in, in NBA history, and Jokic did it twice this week. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I hadn't seen that element of the yeah. stat. Because I saw the other people who'd done it, and it's like yeah. pretty vaunted. But then I didn't realize that Jokic had done it twice. Yeah. That's so that's good. Because for, for, this show is not necessarily designed for NBA fans, but yeah, I know. for Sorry, people... No, no, it's, it's good because I think... You know, for people who aren't familiar with the NBA, it's worth watching this year. Like there are yeah, there's a lot. Some of, like Jokic is a lot of people who are like lifelong fans of the league are saying Jokic is the best offensive player they've ever seen, like full stop. Like a better well, he, offensive player than Jordan. Like he currently he, leads the league in points, assists, and rebounds. Yeah. yeah. Which, All three just raw stat categories. Yeah. Seems pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah, those are yeah, for those of you who don't follow, those are pretty yeah. significant stuff. Those are the big three. <laughs> and yeah, it so like that's one thing that's happening in the league. There's a rookie who we've talked about before on this show, Victor Wambiyama, who is on a nightly basis doing things nobody's ever seen, like blocking shots like three pointers at the peak of, <laughs> of their arc, like <laughs> right. just absurd things. And but like still also doesn't fully know what to do with himself out there in a lot of cases. So it's like watching somebody learning to fly, but then like every once in a while, it, it's like <laughs> he hits the jackpot and you see him dunk from like a place you've never seen anybody dunk yeah. from. and Or just co cover more ground in two steps than any yes. human we've ever seen. Yes. Yeah. But his crossover goes from one side of the court, like one sideline to the other. And like he's learned. And he's yeah. learned. You know, yes, he's, he's, he's become self-aware. He yeah, he's yeah. he's AI. Yes. <laughs> and then Oklahoma City, like, is this young team that's just super exciting that nobody had coming in who I think a lot of people are excited about. I don't know. It's a it's a very exciting time for NBA. Like if you're if you've been if you're like on on the cusp, you're like, I don't know, like th this would be this would be the season to jump in. There's yeah. also a single elimination tournament that the game we're talking about right now with Halliburton. Last night, he eliminated the Celtics and, you know, now, so now Indiana is going deep. New Orleans is going deep. Yeah. It's, it's very exciting. It's like the things you like about single elimination sports have been brought to the NBA kind of for the first time. So exciting times. A reminder, it, this NBA thing might be worth checking out. <laughs> there you go. I love yeah. this game. Adam Silver's The Check is in the Mail. Yes. Yeah. Did, did you just come up with that? I love this game thing. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, just oh, I love this that. game. I love this game. <laughs> I love, I love yeah, this pretty game. Pretty cool game. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Elia Connie and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. 
every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. And so is the COP conference. We're at COP 28. Oof. Yeah, it's <laughs> the, the initial headlines. I don't know. There was like points during earlier this year where people are like, we've turned a corner. And then the initial headlines. I feel like it's a good metaphor for the climate discussion where it's like you'll get some good headlines, some positive seeming things happening. And then like once you take a closer look, like people are like, it's it's not good. Yeah. It's, because yeah. like the whole point is to get, you know, the all of the, the 125 countries together and be like, all right, y'all, how are we going to unfuck this thing? And we all no, got to agree real, on something though. before we leave. Yeah, like for real this time, we got to do some real heavy lifting. In the beginning, like you said, there were things that made it feel positive, like commitments to seriously cut like methane emissions and like increased funds for countries that are being affected by climate change who are otherwise unable to help themselves because of, you know, eco- the economics of it all. Um, But like you're saying, you start zooming out and the optimism like fucking vanishes like almost instantly, like for starters. Right. The event is taking place in Dubai. Okay, the UAE is a nation built on fossil fuel profits. And the man leading 
the talks in Dubai is this guy, Sultan Al-Jaber, who he is the head of the state-owned Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. And he is the one sort of presiding over these like climate talks. And, and then so like, and I can add even more to this. Prior to the conference beginning, he said out loud at another conference that there was, quote, no science that indicated that a phase out of fossil fuels is needed to stop temperatures from rising above one and a half degrees Celsius. One more thing. Hey, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe, Miles? You're going to believe the scientists or you're going to believe the, the head of Abu Dhabi? State owned oil oil, yeah, state-owned oil company. And then only that, there was leaked. there were leaked documents that showed that a lot of these people representing different state-owned oil companies in the Emirates were planning on using the talks to, like, generate more business for fossil fuel extraction. Like, they were like, yeah, bro, it'd be great because, you know, a lot of people are going to be in town for this. So <laughs> it's hard to imagine anything significant will be done against this backdrop, especially when the biggest negotiation at the conference that everyone is paying attention to is, are we going to actually start articulating a phase out of fossil fuels? Or right. as some lobbyists would rather say, how about phase down? Because at least down doesn't indicate out forever. Can we say phase yes. down? Can we say phase out? There's a lot of back and forth of that. Saudi Arabia has flatly said that anything resembling a fossil fuel phase out in an agreement, they will just they will be it will be rejected by their delegation. And the way this the talks are structured, it all it takes is one party to fucking scuttle the whole thing. So you're dealing with a lot of fucking variables here that don't spell they're, you know, a good time for Earth in the near future. And then you have the record number of lobbyists of like from the oil gas industries that are there. Last year, we talked about when it was in Egypt, they set a record for lobbyists that were in attendance, like how there were more lobbyists than like people who were from like a single country. For example, like the, the combined amount of lobbyists that are out actually registered as lobbyists, because there's a ton of people who might not be outwardly saying that they're there to lobby for something. They are basically they outnumber every country's delegation except for Brazil's and Brazil has more because they are going to be hosting it in like a year and a half or something. So like that's why they have more people. But also they fossil fuel lobbyists outnumber in official indigenous representatives by seven to one. And that means like they have more passes lobbyists than the combined total of delegates from the 10 most climate vulnerable countries combined, including Somalia, Chad, Tonga, the Solomon Islands and Sudan. And this quote from David Tong of Oil Change International sums it up pretty well. He said, quote, you would not invite arms dealers to a peace conference. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what we have now. It's just arms fest at the peace fest. Depends on how lit you want your peace conference to be. But I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, I was one I was sort of wondering and reading about this, whether this is like the new Davos, you know, and this is the new just kind of like we're going to go party. We're going to make ourselves feel important and we're going to kind of cut some deals. And ostensibly, there's this other project that's not actually going to accomplish yeah. anything. Right. right and right, they're exactly. like kind of protecting against something being accomplished. We've had climate experts and environmentalists on the show describe this as an energy industry trade show. Right. Essentially. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went back and, and looked at because, you know, COP. 28. That's a big number, right? So yeah. I went back and looked at like COP 1 and right, 2 yeah. and 3, right? And so, you know, the planks and the things, the basic, you know, things that were being discussed at those in the mid-90s into the early 2000s were basically the exact same, right? right. COP, COP 2, right, in Geneva, Switzerland was basically about do we want uniform policies or do we want flexibility? Do we want legally binding midterm targets or do we want larger principles upon which we will all adhere? You know, COP3 was the big Kyoto Protocol one. COP4 was like, 
we need we are pledging for a two year plan of action, right? Right. Uh, you know, and that's like us, uh, you know, two year plan of action, two year plan of action. I mean, and then you know, you look at like COP six, seven, eight, nine. This question of financial assistance for developing countries, and this question of kind of how do you know developing countries need to use carbon in order to advance their economic principles, but also you know they're going to be affected by like that is just like year after year yeah. after year after year. It just comes up. People say some things. It doesn't get fully. Result. Yeah. So it is kind of remarkable. Yeah, and it wasn't until last year where they're like, "All right, I guess we can put some money together for these other right. countries." And so I mean, it's like, oh, you know, I think took you twenty-seven tries. It right, and it does feel like in this first, the fact that that got accomplished on the first day of the conference did the sort of surprise some climate activists, and you know, probably also then like let everyone at the conference be like, "Well, we did a good thing yeah, on day one, exactly. so we can just you know lobby and party yeah. for the rest of the." But can I can I ask a sort of bigger picture question of the two of you? Just something I've been thinking about with climate activism and sort of, you know, what needs to get done, which is I think we've moved so far past the point where like a single solution or even like a single kind of group like, oh, the people are going to get together in Kyoto at COP3 and kind of like yes. governments are going to figure this out. We've moved so far past that idea of like a couple central answers to this that weirdly it feels like now we're in a well, we might as well try everything moment, right? Mm. And I think talking to folks, you know, who are active in climate change circles, like that is where we're at, right? It's like no one solution, no one political process, no one country is going to solve this. We just kind of have to try everything. And I weirdly find a little solace in that, in that like the guardrails, the abdication of responsibility is sort of off for most people. And it's just kind of like, well, we got to try everything. And so, you know, I, maybe this is just, maybe this is a sort of me giving up in some way, but I'm like, if COP accomplishes a you know two percent of something, great. Because over here, someone's going to accomplish two percent over here, and that's the only way this is going to happen. It's just like a million different things nudging progress a little bit forward, as opposed to what we were doing for I think for a long time, which was sort of saying like, well, world, world leaders need to get together and get their act together. And I think that you know idea is long gone. Right. Yeah. It, it like it kind of the thing kind of reminds me of like those like scenes in like a like a superhero comedy film where someone's trying to get away in a car and the superhero is just lifting the car from the back so the wheels right. can't move. <laughs> right. And like that's what this feels like. The car's like it could go forward if these assholes let the like let go and let yeah. it move forward. And then so right. we get these little incremental changes that like are absolutely heartening. I think it's just and then but looking at the totality of it, it's like, God, there's still so much energy and investment to, to basically offset whatever gains there are to continue like the profitability yeah. of the extraction. But I think like to your point, it is better to think of like that there are many ways to potentially achieve this, whether it's through like how fucking like the dairy industry is working or agriculture, or these other things. And if many of these things can come together, that there we may find a way here. But the biggest thing is it's it's these nations, it's these state actors who are really have a lot of control over like yeah. the sheer volume of emissions. And when you know that, like they're like, hey, we're bringing our lobbyists to the COP28 to, to represent our gas industries. Like, you're just like, like, how serious are we? So I'm I'm less nihilistic and I'm, maybe I'm just more deeply frustrated. Yes, that's yeah. that's kind of where where I'm at, I would say. I'm curious when in looking back at the past cops, do you like would your sense be if if there was some way to quantify like the actual beneficial ideas or, you know, progress that came from each one of them? Like 
how do you think if we were to rank the top twenty-eight cops? <laughs> okay, <laughs> top twenty-eight. Right. How cops, long do you have? Cops. Here we go. Twenty-six. Definitive like, ranking of the but top twenty-eight. I'm just cops. wondering because it feels like putting a meeting together, a meeting of the minds, with this as a as the central goal is a good idea in theory. Once it becomes a a place for various companies to strategize, like in the presence of people talking about things that are specifically meant to hem them in, like then it almost becomes like you're building an institutional means for just skirting all the laws and all all of the things that we're trying to do. Because, yeah, I totally agree. Like, it's not going to be one silver bullet. It's going to be a lot of things. But those all of those things are going to be avoided with precision and legal, you know, just millions of hours of legal arguments and contracts and things like that put in by these companies because that's what they do. Like yeah. sending companies that are focused only on profit for the most part, like focused only on profit to be the solution to <laughs> climate change. It right. just seems so, it seems n- not like, you know, well, we might as well try everything and, and more like this is actively doing harm. Like it's the, it's going to be the thing that w- will allow us to, continue down the road that we've been going down is, yeah. is my concern it, it, yeah it's like the it's like that that quote that homer says and like about beer except it's like yeah. fossil fuels the cause of and solution to all right. life's problems you're like how because there's so many gas on it what if we <laughs> well i mean that is a huge thing like yeah. you hear the people how the lobbyists are speaking about the industries that the industry they represent and they're like we have to do this in a humane way like and it's really talking about humane to their company's bottom line, but they're but they couch it in this thing, this argument of like, well, we we're gonna need fossil fuels to help these other economies get online to get to that point. But really, and I think that's what makes it really difficult is because there it's easy to do this sort of double speak and then from that extract like a good headline if you are in the more greenwashing sector of this conference, or you can extract a good headline if you're there to protect the investments or whatever. So. It is just kind of wild, though, too, because we're in this like liminal space where like the the rich and powerful are still doing their old school shit, like, you know, like just self-dealing in full view of the public. But because they were used to like a public that was just uninformed or apathetic. And now people are like, what the fuck? Yeah, hold on. Who's right. running the conference? How many right. lobbyists? And they're like, what the fuck? What's, well, it's, a, it's a reality check where I think, you know, over the last year or two in the U.S., you know, I think you could probably tell yourself a story that like, oh, you know, the 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 sort of capitalistic market incentives and the energy and climate change have kind of moved a little more in parallel and are maybe working a little more in sync, right, over the last right. year. And I think, you know, For the, sure. the, the Biden's bill has a big part of that. And that was the sort of yeah. calculus there. And then you just, you know, to your point, Miles, you get this like wake up call where it's just like a Qatari <laughs> sultan who's like, the fuck are you talking about yeah like i'm an yeah. oil guy <laughs> like, like let's just let's do it yeah i brought the guess what i just brought the entire global oil industry to my backyard and then we can kind of like side plan stuff based on whatever else is going on so yeah it it's what, uh yeah it's, it's one it's one little tidbit just mm-hmm. that i noticed here from this guy that you you, you shouted out sultan ahmed al jaber which is like he spent his first his talk 
at the climate on his first day, his major address, like complaining about how the media had misinterpreted him uh, uh, about his climate, about his, you know, comments earlier about how we'll never be able to divest from fossil fuels. And it's just such a like hallmark, powerful person abdication of responsibility to then like just get their backs up about being misquoted and then spend their whole time. I feel like that's like if you're president of FIFA, that's all you do is oh, you yeah. complain <laughs> right. about media coverage. Yeah. You don't actually address all the things, but yeah. it's like, it's like, it was, it's just such a classic, classic right. move. And it was just, yeah. And a classic keynote. You want to yeah. open, open the conference by talking about your own petty bullshit and right. grievances. That's how <laughs> people get everybody invested. Yeah. The keynote address for the conference of the parties to help tackle the issue of earth death. And you kick it off with, to all my fucking haters, <laughs> you're like, oh shit, no, no, no. This is this is completely gone off the rails. Yeah, yeah, amazing. All right, let's move on to the boring Black Mirror episode that young people today. I'll live share inside. my rankings on, of the top cops on the Discord. <laughs> okay, <laughs> top, yeah. twenty top through cops. one. Yeah. Top cops. Top cops. Uh, top Commandant Lasarge from Police Academy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy rules. Just completely oblivious. Completely senile. Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> Was he Henry from Punky Brewster or do I just, is he just that guy in my memory? No way to know. I said Lassarge, Lassard. Uh, Lassard, yeah. Uh, George Gaines. That's what was the actor. I mean, we yeah. can, was he? We can, we'll, we'll, Wait, we'll sidebar. We'll sidebar. Yes. We'll sidebar. Anyways, Henry. Punky. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was. Hey, look at that. He was Henry Warnemont on Punky Brewster. There it is. All right. There, there was an article on Axios uh, a couple weeks back that is basically just saying we're going to be living with roommates until we're 50. That is, on average, the average age of people who can rent solo is 50 now because everyone under that age is too poor and the rent is too damn high. It, it also mentions that baby boomers have, quote, ditched home ownership for low maintenance apartments, which makes it sound like a, a breezy yeah. lifestyle choice. This one easy hack. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> Find out about this one he- easy hack. Real estate agents don't want you to know yeah. about. Sell your house to them. Sell your house to a corporate entity. Yes. The, the one that really jumped out to me, 87% jump in the number of Americans aged 25 to 34 living at home in 2021 compared to the previous decade. Meanwhile, the typical repeat home buyer is currently 58, according to data from the National Association of Realtors. And, you know, there's been a lot of reporting from, there's a New York Times article from last year, there's a Scripps article from earlier this year, about how more and more single-family homes than ever are being purchased by investors which ties into our uh, special episode about private equity companies from from earlier in the year. I think who killed the free ambulance was that? Yeah, what it was called, something along those lines. Just, just industry by industry, just hollowing it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And <laughs> there's this one quote in the Scripps News article that I just want to read to you guys, word for word. There are billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, just sloshing around in the economy, looking for places to go. Where do we go? What are we going to invest in? Real estate is a really, really good investment, said Mike Delpreet, a global real estate tech strategist and scholar. It's definitely an issue worth paying attention to. So from his perspective, it's like an issue worth paying you attention said to. Scholar? For, 
Yes, he's a real estate tech strategist and scholar at the University of Colorado Boulder. I wonder if that was like a description he gave to them. He's like, yeah, uh, he, you, you can describe me as this. And yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's spelled S-C-H-O. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a scholar of making that bank. Yeah. Oh, no, it's S-C-A-L-L-E-R. I'm a shot caller. Is what I, <laughs> that's what scholar. I meant by that. Yeah, yeah. Scholar, S- if you will. S-collar. I'm sorry. Did you not get it? I'm a, yeah, I'm a shot caller, baby. baby. <laughs> Telling y'all what to do with these houses. You can get fuck right out of here. I'm a shot caller. <laughs> that is ultimately Watch. where the where the term scholar came from. Of course. Of just course. The, the original shot callers. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. For first of all, very infuriating for you know when most people's lived reality is check to check that the investor class's problem is like, what how do we unburden ourselves right. from all these trillions of dollars that Came our way during the pandemic. Just that, that, that fucking metaphor. It's so, it's just so wild, right? Because it's like, you're like, you're acknowledging a finite resource like money and many people don't have it. And like, you're likening it to like having like a kiddie pool of just like fucking water sloshing everywhere while yeah. people are like dying. Fuck of yeah, I got money thirst. problems too, man. Dude, it's just sloshing <laughs> everywhere. You have to fucking money do problem. all this shit. Yeah. Like, I get it. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. And there's always like an industry person who's like, guys, the private companies buying up single family homes, not a big deal. Like, we're actually not that big of an industry. Like, I I barely matter. I suck. Okay. Like, none (laughs) of, don't even, you don't, like, why are you even talking to me? I suck. There's nothing here which is usually a bad sign when like an industry group just keeps trying to be like, guys, I like I'm, I'm shit. Why are you even right. No, there's, there's, this is a non story, but I don't know. It, it just seems like when you talk to like the New York times article from spring of last year was just looking at an individual, I think it was Charlotte real estate market. And it's just when it, and I found this to be true. Anybody who is thinking about like trying to buy a home or, you know, like this is the number one thing they mention now is that like you are going to get scooped by some company. Like they, they talked to this woman who is trying to buy a single family home in Charlotte, instead forced to downsize from a rental home to an apartment. And, you know, the car, the car that or the uh, home that she wants to buy is bought by Tricon Residential who owns 1,600 homes, and yeah. This got me thinking about a kind of bigger sort of story, I feel like, in my life, and I'm curious how you think about kind of home ownership and how I've thought about it, you know, because I do think, like, I'm of a generation where I did push back or, you know, kind of, there was a, it was, I thought, a really important conversation about, like, well, is home ownership the sort of, goal you know and our mm-hmm. parents that was the thing for our parents coming you know yeah. and it was like to buy a home and for, you know that is the american dream and i you know i think i became convinced and i kind of probably spouted language along these lines of like well you know that's not the fit for everyone you know and maybe it's not the fit for me and and i wonder if we were kind of sold <laughs> while well, we were kind of being sold that idea They're like no it's not you know it's not yeah it's, it's the american dream anymore there's other ways in the meantime you know that option was just being ripped off the table to begin with. And that I think is the real sort of tragedy here. It's just, it's not just that like 
everyone should own a home. And that is the most, you know, that is totally. still the sort of yes. definition of the American dream, but just the lack of options. And I yeah. mean, everyone I know, you know, and all the people in the reporting here, the pervading feeling is just constriction, you know, yes. and the inability to even uh, make a, a choice and have agency and sort of figure out what's best for yourself. And I think that's like, you know, that's incredibly tragic. And I will say like, you know, this may be taking us a little bit far afield, but I will say like when I think about this kind of big conversation that's happening and it will only build going into next year about the disconnect between people's economic feelings and the actual economic indicators that are out there. And, you know, Biden right. has built a pretty good economy, but people still think the economy is terrible. Yeah. Housing is the answer to me. Right. Yeah. You can look at every other, you know, metric about wage growth and inflation going down and all these other things. But if you just like can't get from here to there, if you want to own a home, like it, I don't think any of those other metrics matter. Yeah. Or if and you I feel like that that's like a big part of it. I think yeah, it's a big you're part. on the verge of not making rent like that. Yeah. Then, yeah, homelessness yeah. is like, you know, something that hangs over a lot of people who are still might show up on that as like employed and, you know, but being right. employed and the precarity of like being in a gig economy, you know, role is like that's not a comfortable place to be. And a lot of these things are things that have just changed generation to generation. You know, you know, it does it does tie into that sort of gig economy overall, like gigification of our lives that yeah. like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, if you're under 40, like the way you want to live your life is just like improvising every day, you know, yeah, like you right. just move around and you rent and you figure this out, you figure this out, you have all vibing it's like, it out. Guys. I don't think yeah. so. I think yeah, like stability. <laughs> well, and I think like the cop, what what happened to the cop conference is a I thought you were going to say the cop on the slide. <laughs> what happened to the couple of slides happened to the, yeah, the U.S. economy. No, what, like, we thought it would be a good time hopping in there, and it just <laughs> fucked us up on the other end. When you have corporations and, like, private equity companies as, like, the major decision makers and, like, designers of an entire civilization for for decades, which it seems like we've had for for a while now, and, like, really being the power that politicians have to, you know, push back against and often like listen to like this is kind of what you end up with where it's just like their flexibility is the thing that ends up being, you know, unshakable and not like people's security at the end of the day and feeling secure. So it just feels like any anywhere where they have fully where like massive corporations or private equity or, you know, the people who view money as a problem in the sense that they what to do with all this money being mm -hmm. the problem that right. they're trying to solve. Like when those are the only people making the decisions, like you end up with subtle fissures in like day to day life of people who aren't making those decisions that don't don't look great, don't feel great. And, you know, there's a Senate bill that would close legal tax and regulatory loopholes that allow private equity firms to capture all the rewards of the investments in real estate while insulating them from risk. And it has sat in committee since Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown introduced it in October of last year. So it's, yeah, yeah it's. There's like, yeah, I think Ro Khanna also has a bill about banning corporate landlords because like when you look at it, I mean, it's, this problem is only increasing. And, you know, Jeff Bezos just put like a ton of money into this like new company this, this it's like an investment company called arrived 
that basically allows people to like like become sort of uh t- small time landlords it's like well you can get you can own a property for as little as a hundred dollars by like right. crowd crowd fucking people like that <laughs> and that's sort of like this new like we're just seeing all these entry points to sort of either because i see something like this a lot of the people that are defending this company it's like well they're not like one of these institutional corporate landlords like Invitation Homes that owns 80,000 single family rental homes or like Blackstone, they're like, this is actually allowing people just a way to have that kind of security or those aspirations in a way that's realistic for them. And really, it's just more like they're being like, you could be a landlord, dude. Like, you're not going to live here, but you yeah. can you yeah. can fucking maybe profit off of this situation. They're not a Blackstone, more of a Greystone, which is also a massive corporate. Uh, more of a Greystone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How yeah. many colors are left? Yeah. For massive White corporate, stone. Hey, yeah. corporate we're raiders. Good, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brownstone. Yeah. Mr. Brownstone. All right. Well, let's well, uh let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about less less depressing things, maybe. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes. I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. 
We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And uh, first of all, just big news, George Santos is on Cameo. So get your get your wallets ready. <laughs> get your wallets out, folks. $200 per video and offers options such as holiday, birthday, gossip, pep talk, roast, advice, and other. Oh, man, I would love What's to gossip? get... What's gossip? Like, you can pay him to, like, tell, like, confidential shit or something? He's like, since I'm not <laughs> yeah, there, you want to know something? Give us the tea of <laughs> stuff you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How do I get the gossip on what my neighbor's social security number is? Yeah, what's going on with the Pacific Fleet right now? Can you, <laughs> you know, can you give us some military <laughs> tea or what? Spill some secrets. Spill that yeah. tea. And then John Fetterman used it to talk shit at Bob Menendez. Uh, so that's a little gossip. That's a little oh, tea. It's just... That's also, we just found out Bob Menendez, like those gold bars that he got paid when we talked about how he was taking, like he was literally taking literal gold bars. They were from some robbery from 10 years ago. Like, oh, just, like, oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, dude, like they connected oh, it to a robbery. Oh, that the jewelry store robbery that somehow, yeah. Oh, man, They're like, yeah, story. anyway, so that senator story. has it. And then you have, it's just like, it's funny. A lot of people were like, wow, John Fetterman paid George Santos to like troll Bob Menendez. But I'm like, I don't know, like the Fetterman thing starting to really wear thin where I'm like, yeah. OK, I get you were very savvy on social media when you were just dunking on Dr. Oz during the campaign. And now, like, I, I'm just like just th from the the like the jingoistic stuff like that he's been doing with like Israel's like wrapping himself in a flag and stuff and being like, there was under, no means will like the civilian death stop. And now yeah. he's like, and I also gave George Santos campaign money out your pockets. Yeah, uh, to like own Bob Menendez, like none of it is just like what? now this. I mean, okay. this I'm uh, like this makes me want to scream. Like this is just so depressing, the and Fetterman thing. and like yeah, the Fetterman thing and the Santos thing and the enabling of Santos. I mean, obviously the enabling of Santos up until this point also makes me want to scream. And right. I just think it's just like incredible that they didn't find a way. You know, I think you can you can measure. Uh, a lot by sort of what are people willing to put up with. And I think yeah. like that's a really good way to look at the modern Republican Party is like, right. where is the line for, you know, not what's the line, not what, not what's become acceptable, but where has the line for what's unacceptable moved to? Uh, yeah. And, you know, the fact that this wasn't on the on that side of the line until very recently. But yeah, this cameo thing, it's like, it's so, well, it's embarrassing and it's like yeah. so unserious. And it is, I think, like really like, a culmination of a really corrosive thing of just like what like we think everything is reality tv we think everything right. is like an ironic game and it's like what the what are we doing people right. like it's really really frustrating and the fact that like an ostensibly serious democrat is like playing that game it's just like yeah what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> I don't it's know like, what you're talking just, about. I'm just trying go. to decide which of the two presidential candidates who have laser eyes emojis I should vote yeah. for. Yeah, uh, right. But okay. we're, we're a very serious <laughs> political uh, nation. I, mean, I want dark Brandon. Like, okay, that's not a guy, you know? You know it isn't, I right? mean, this is where Santos probably should have been all along, right? I mean, he like that's, that's another part of the story, too, is like the fact that people whose destiny was D-level celebrity selling 
videos for $200 on Cameo. The fact that they see politics as their path to that. Like, it's a perfectly reasonable place to end up. Great. You know, like Ted Cruz. Like, Ted Cruz right now wants to be a podcast host. That's clearly what he wants to do. He should just leave politics and be a podcast host. And the fact that people still think it's reasonable to stay in politics or they think it's all part of the same game. Um, Right. I mean, that's the that is the core of the problem right now. And my call letters are kiss my ass. All right. Uh, Those aren't letters, man. Those what? Where are my cruisers at? Y'all out there? Let me hear you one time. All right, cool. I'm yeah, it does feel like with Santos, we're seeing like the death of a politician and the birth of a reality TV celebrity whose name I wouldn't otherwise have known. Yeah. but Well, yeah. he's, you know, he's following the playbook, like how all people who get into sponsored content from a reality show, you know, like you, you make a big scene. People are like, oh, who's that on that yeah. show? Then you get off but, and then you can start doing some spawn con on the Instagram. Although I don't but know. To belabor the point, it's the reality yeah. TV show play, right. not the fucking no, elected politics. No. <laughs> no. But yeah, it's completely since Donald Trump. Like yeah. it's yeah. the reality. It's both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to mention that just like, gosh, some of the stuff he's actually accused of doing. It's not just like, oh, what a like lovable grifter, like some really awful shit <laughs> yeah. like stealing from fucking cancer but then there was like some shit about a dog like it's just really it should just be beyond the pain oh, yeah. who a million different ways hasn't stolen from cancer who that, hasn't done know, a yeah. fundraiser for a dog and then took right. all the money <laughs> for <laughs> yourself <laughs> <laughs> you Jesus think i got lambo <laughs> wow yeah all right let's talk bass pro shops so this came to our attention because Garth Brooks, We, for some reason, we like to keep an eye on Garth Brooks. He's he's the best-selling artist in American pop music history, which oh, I yeah. think flies under the radar a little bit. Um, he has a new album, but it's only available to buy in Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> and the, Hell yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a weird... I think he was, like, trying to do... Like, it has no digital footprint. There are, like, no reviews from professional critics possibly because it's only available at Bass Pro Shops, but it's like, yeah, you can't really get it online. It's is, it's weird. Is it an album if it only comes out at Bass Pro Shops is kind of, I think, where we're at philosophically because they're like, I don't know how else to... It's only there? No, no review copies for anybody? You think it's and, just a bad album? Like it's a... You know, like intentional? He's like, yeah, let's just release that shit at Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> It's like the Wu-Tang album that they only sold to Martin Shkreli, but just, just you know, with a couple thousand copies and stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. Just the one. I know, I know this is a different era, but are you familiar with the 2007 Joni Mitchell album, Shine? Are you familiar, familiar with the 2008 Carly Simon album, This Kind of Love? No. no. Those albums were put out on a record label, Concord Music Group, that was co-founded by Starbucks. And you could only buy those CDs in Starbucks. In Starbucks. I mean, oh, yeah, wow. This isn't totally different from something yeah. that has happened in the past. I know they we're living in the digital music era. But, yeah. you know, there are, this has long been the case where you can kind of like find particular yeah. music or culture in particular stores and people have done specific releases, you know. And so big chains have started record labels before. It's a yeah. little weird in the digital era where like, I mean, Starbucks shuttered its record thing as soon as the internet took yeah. off. But <laughs> I know. think it's more interesting from the perspective, not like from Garth, what you doing, man? And more from the perspective of like, what does this corporation see themselves as? And in the case of Starbucks, yeah. it was misguided that they were like, 
Starbucks is really like more of a vibe. It's more of like a although I mean know, it really had I mean it was a powerful cultural force for a while. I mean there's like a whole sort of generation of bands that like yeah just you know we're Starbucks we're Starbucks yeah. bands and like that phenomenon right. of like hearing something in Starbucks and then seeing that the album was right there to purchase yeah. next to the store. I mean you know and I think that's like part of a story. I mean Starbucks clearly wanted this to happen. I think Brass Prospects clearly wants this to happen. But you know that that the brand and the store become a sort of cultural space more than just a place where you go to buy stuff. And that's clearly what's happening here. And then I just, but it's just interesting when you see an artist make a decision like that, where it's like, yeah, I like to sell albums, but then you're like, you know, this isn't the best way to achieve like ubiquity for this album, right? (laughs) Is to just put physical copies in this one store. So that's, I'm like, I'm always curious what the economics of it are for them to be like, they're actually paying me a lot of money up front to do this. You know what I mean? Right. But also, I mean, I do wonder how much it is that, like, you're not going to be making, you don't make music by selling actual music anymore anyway. And right. so it's like, if this is, if there's some big endorsement deal here where he gets a bag for that, and then he goes makes his money the way that you can kind of actually make money in music these days, which is a huge yeah, tour or touring, whatever, yeah. you know, then, yeah. So I suspect he has some, um, he's got some people with some spreadsheets in his camp who have yeah, yeah, like, that this is the, the right way spot. to go. Yeah. He, I mean, he's done this before with Target and Walmart, but. Bass, Bass Pro Shops are kind of so. Have you never been a to a Bass Pro Shop company? I've yeah. never been inside. I've been I've been I love it. Them. I've been there. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wild. I was like, there's a fucking, you could test drive a boat in here. A boat. Like, you, yeah. you can like, test, like, you know, I, I grew up fishing. I went to a lot of Bass Pro Shops and like, you know, you can test, you can test all your reels there and they have ponds and they're, you know, it's, it is a real like amusement park slash right yeah cultural space slash you know they're trying to sell yeah. you a bunch of stuff too including a bunch yeah. of guns which is probably yeah major seller of guns and they are among the only uh they are the biggest seller of guns that just refuse to implement any restrictions in the wake of marjorie stoneman shooting and sandy hmm. hook and you know just kept selling assault rifles even after personal appeals from sandy hook families and then Bass Pro Shops are a longtime partner of the NRA. One of their stores even houses a NRA gun museum. And they sell NRA t-shirts featuring, say, a picture of a handgun with a constitution engraved on the barrel. One Arkansas store made headlines for selling a rifle that celebrated the ta- Trail of Tears massacre. <laughs> like, the, on the box. Jesus yeah, because we're about the we're like for hunters, man, and that yeah. whole thing. And you're like, yeah. celebrate the trail of tears with this. Yeah, one. it has like people on horses with the rifle that you're buying with, you know, Native Americans walking. All right, uh, here's a here's a quiz for the two of you. At the NRA National Sporting Arms Museum at the Springfield, Missouri Brass Post Shops, oh, I'm gonna there is an book. exhibit called the Hollywood Collection, and it features guns used and owned by at least four Hollywood celebrities. Okay. Whose guns are on display? No. Not Charlton Heston. That is surprising, but no, not. I think the first one should be on. Schwarzenegger? No. No. Uh, Clint Eastwood? Yes. Clint Eastwood is the first one. The second one's probably pretty obvious, too. None of the action heroes? Like Arnold? Is it an action hero? Nope. No, Stallone. it's in that Clint. John Wayne. It's in that Clint. Yep, John Wayne is the second person listed. The third one's a curveball. I would say not known for guns, maybe known for other swa- more swashbuckling uh, forms of, of violence, campy <laughs> violence in his movies. Swashbuckling. Oh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. 
Really? And in the fourth selection, yeah, Johnny, Johnny Depp should have guns personally <laughs> yes, for yes. his safety and no. others. Well, like that's a fucking the, like flintlock pistol or some shit. Like the court ordered that his guns be taken and be put in the museum at the Springfield Missouri Best Post Shop. <laughs> and then the fourth one is Tom Selleck. Selleck you can go see sense. Tom Selleck's gun. Mm. Yeah. The guy's name was Magnum, for God's sake. There you go. So I was surprised to learn that Bass Pro Shop's empire was largely paid for by taxpayers. So they routinely build giant stores using government subsidies, promising economic benefits such as jobs. And the jobs disproportionately go to white people. As a 2011 Equal Employment Opportunity Commission lawsuit alleged, the fishing and hunting gear supplier knowingly and systematically discriminated against Hispanic and black applicants in hiring, and some of its managers used racial slurs. One manager of a Houston-area store told his human resource manager that, quote, it's getting a little dark in here. You need to hire some white people. Jesus. So, and an investigation it's in 2012. It's funny that he used, like, a euphemism in the first half of that yeah, sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, like, nudge, and then he follows it up with, you should hire, hire some, some white, white people. people. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not known for my subtlety. Yeah. yeah. But it, uh, an investigation in 2012 found that $2.2 billion in taxpayer money went to Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, which is Bass Pro Shops, bought in t- 2016. In the preceding 15 years, noting that Bass Pro Shops often pays com- comparably little toward the construction of its own stores. And their argument is that their business should be viewed as a public amenity, like a park or a library or a museum. Mm. Mm. Yeah. These aren't just stores. These are natural history museums. Well, is what their CEOs say people who would agree with you are currently trying to destroy libraries also. So we're going to have to find some common ground here. Why on do you belief. need libraries when you have, quote, gun libraries? Yeah. Uh, which is what they call some of their like gun collections that act as legal oh justification to qualify as museums and therefore access public funds. Oh, so it's like some Trump shit where it's like, put a museum, call it a museum, get that one gun from Die Hard, and now you can get <laughs> subsidies because it's a fucking museum. That's I'll give you okay, something clever. It's the, clever. it's the sweatshirt where it says, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. So there's your reading <laughs> material, asshole. The but featured yeah. book on the Bass Pro Shops book, sh- book page on their website is The Man I Knew, The Amazing Story of George H.W. Bush's Post-Presidency. Like there it is. Oh. Top Written book. by who? The man I knew. I know. Gene Inter- Becker? Who's Gene? Oh, okay. I'm just wondering <laughs> if it was his mistress, because he famously had like a long, t- long time affair, like somebody who was basically his chief his of staff. wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like they've yeah. historically acted pretty much like a con artist would, preying on communities that need money by making, you know, lofty promises I to mean- help troubled economies. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, literally played $7 million in subsidies while they were $437 million in debt and literally sold off schools to make that investment. I mean, it is funny how Walmart is like, you know, receives so much the ire around this kind of stuff, you know, both yeah. gun sales and the sort of extractive nature of, you know, the, the subsidies they get and the wages they pay and so forth and how they, you know, eat up small businesses. And, you know, I, I guess I don't have a sense of scale. I imagine Walmart is considerably bigger than Bass Pro Shops, but it is funny that that there isn't that kind of yeah. conversation about Bass Pro Bass Shops. Bass Pro Shops is like a comer. It's like on, on the on the growth path. And like I, a lot of times I talk about like the singularity the thing that everyone's afraid of where this like hyper intelligence 
that be- becomes undefeatable and insinuates itself into our lives like is already here and it is just hyper capitalism and like you know Walmart figures out this amazing way to exploit taxpayers and like get everywhere it's not like Bass Pro Shop is not learning from that and going to like take every single you know learning that they possibly can to keep to keep growing and doing the same thing so that's yeah it's uh we gotta find great. a way to we gotta find a way to get like on this Bass Pro Shop subsidies wave, you know what I mean? Yeah, like how, national service. I'm almost like I I would love to like how are they able to do it so well like that to be like like it's like a football stadium or some shit. It's like on that level because like, it's yeah, like dude, football. It's like right. No, just, I get that. Yeah, for sure. cartoon yeah, America force, yeah. Americana. Yeah, but I wonder who like because clearly like there. are many people who have connections with their lobbying efforts or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I really want to see like, who are the people that are really helping? Cause you know, like when you see like subsidies like this, there's always like a couple senators or Congress people who are like always like sticking up for that kind of shit. I saw it when like, I was lobbying, how like there were like three senators who we knew like would have the industries back for certain things. So I'm curious who like the real people are who are like, uh, you know, BPS, dude, I got your back no matter what. The subsidies will keep flooding because, look, it's a museum. It is a library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a place for us to do better, to improve ourselves and not and also discriminate against, you know, people who would like to work here. Yeah. Can I throw something on your list for future things to dig into? Yeah. Yes. Dollar General. You know, that Dollar General has more than four times as many stores in the U.S. as Walmart. Yeah, it wow. is like a force, and it's the same thing. It's extractive, and low wages, and the CEO of Dollar General has actually bragged that he can like shutter a store and move out of a town in twenty four hours. Uh, I mean, it is just incredible. So yeah, worth a is. worth a dig into. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Yeah, it, it like also says a lot about like you know how a lot of these industries look at consumers and like where they're at, right. and being like, yeah, and we can just kind of keep keep the accelerator down on that mo- on that movement. Well, fortunately, the economy is thriving, so no one's going to have mm-hmm. to shop at a Dollar General. That place is on its way out. <laughs> Jody, <laughs> what a pleasure having you, as always. Yeah. Where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Allow me to utter the four greatest words in the English language. Yes. Follow me on threads. Threads. Ooh. I'm making it happen. I like it. I'm making it happen. No, how long, how long you I'm been trying- over there? No, I've been over there for a while, and then I kind of like dilly dallied, and I've just—I don't know, whatever. I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm trying. I have very complicated feelings, obviously, about Twitter, whatever. But I'm trying to post more on Threads, and it does yeah. make me feel slightly better. Yeah. So you know, follow me there. But uh, yeah, listen to the Puzzler. I like that. I really like making the show. It's like a daily short puzzle show. It's from iHeart. So, um, but you know, it's a—it's like five, eight minutes a day. It's very fun. I think you guys Get are going to be on the on. show sometime soon. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, give it a shot. I, no, I was like listening to a couple episodes, and it, it's funny how sometimes I, I think this happens to anyone listening to a podcast where like any kind of trivia or something is being asked, and you know the answer before the person on the show. Like, yeah. Oh, come so on! Do you like that? Do you like? So this is something we've talked about a lot making the show. You know, do you, do you do you like those moments? Are they frustrating to you? This question of whether you know we want it so that the audience knows before the guest or vice versa. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's some that are like actually in, like like obviously really good questions that I didn't right. like couldn't right. answer at all. But the ones that I knew, I'm less like I don't know. That doesn't that's not necessarily aggravating. I think it's more for like my ego to be like, no, I yeah. know this. Come on. No, I think that's what we should. found, you know. And I and I used to write the like year end news quiz on the Brian Lehrer show, which is the like the big 
you know, call-in show here in, in New York at WNYC. And like the thing I learned there was like, you can't make it too easy because yeah. people, people like to get stuff right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And people listening like to know stuff and like, it's actually, and it's also like pretty crappy radio to like hear someone struggle. And yeah. so, you know, not that the puzzler isn't like stimulating and engaging, but we've tried to find that sweet spot. No, it, um, And it generally does. our default is kind of like, if the audience at home gets it before the guest, that's a really good dynamic. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, clearly you've gone with that dynamic because you've asked us to come on and I'm well, going yeah. to be like, <laughs> No, yeah, boy. I mean, now we've basically Shark? been like, who are the biggest idiots we can convince to come <laughs> yeah. on this show? Dude, they and, fucking and How do you feel about yeah. the phrase, doll boy? Nah. <laughs> you're going to be hearing a lot of it. Golly. Really? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Got it all over my shirt. <laughs> what? <laughs> sorry, I'm really sorry. I'm eating a burrito. Sorry, I'm really confused by like throwing Real stuff. Out. Taco Bell. <laughs> I get it. Extra crispy. Yeah. All right. Amazing. Is there a work of media that you've been enjoying, Jody? I really like that show. The rest is history. If you listen to that show, it's these two British historians, and they just do big deep dives. But I mean, I just find myself listening to that more than any other show, and um. They're very funny and and they know their stuff and they do these big multi-part series and they're doing one right right now about the JFK assassination, which is super deep and which this show? is heavy, but the rest which is show? history. JFK the rest is history. The rest JFK. is history. Now you, yeah, which guy? Now you have my attention. And this is this is heavy, but but the thing that hooked me on them and I think is like really stunning is they did a multi-part series about the rise of Hitler, the rise of the Nazis, and it like, you know, it's one of those stories that I've engaged with so many different over and over and so many in so many different ways and i didn't feel like i kind of really understood the dynamics until i listened to this so i you know would highly recommend Ooh, that so go check good. out the rest of this history but just dive in they do all these you know they do all sorts of stuff i'm so intrigued by that we might have to cut that recommendation because nobody's going to listen to our podcast now <laughs> yeah, such exactly. amazing miles mm-hmm where can people find you as their work of media you've been enjoying? Yeah, find me on, you know, the app-based places, including threads at Miles of Gray. Uh, find Jack and I on our basketball podcast, Miles and Jack, Miles on, and Jack on Boosties. Uh, and also, what else, what else? Find me on 420 Day Fiance, where I talk about 90 Day Fiance with Sophia Alexandra. Uh, let's see, a tweet I like. This is something, actually, I, I, I forgot was a thing, but... At Morning Gloria, Aaron Ryan uh, mm-hmm. shared this uh, this Daily Beast article, um, which maybe she wrote. But anyway, it's, it said time for my an- it is actually time for my annual sharing of the most important Home Alone theory and possibly the apex of my writing career in Home Alone. What if Kevin McAllister is dead the whole time? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Heavy. But Did it's he's an just interesting- a ghost wandering around that house. Yeah. Do his exactly. parents know he's dead, pranks? or they're going to come back and well, find why do he hate? Dead? But he hated his family too. Like, what's there's like there's, oh, so he's already dead? Oh, the whole time. Yeah, like even in the beginning. Jack, you got to read. This is how I, this is how I chum the waters, so you can mm-hmm. check out Aaron Ryan's. No, wait, does she go dead. on, or does she just pause? No, it it's that the question. whole thing. It's the piece is called Home Alone is so much better if Kevin McAllister. Oh, is dead. it's a piece. I see. I thought it was just a. Provoc- provoc- oh, no, not just like, on, on let me Twitter. just throw that yeah. out there. And I've heard like people say this before in years past that like I like it felt like some peak college stoner. She's like, dude, you know, like he's dead, right? Yeah. But yeah, this is the full The question breakdown. is, could you basically do that for every movie? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Could you just take that theory and plop it onto any movie and yeah, probably have it be pretty every compelling. movie, basically? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have this theory. What if Bruce Willis is dead in the right. sixth sense? There you go. Like, there you go. <laughs> think about that shit. This is a good pod- that fucking this is a, blow your mind. <laughs> this is a good podcast idea. Just like just a movie review podcast where we just talk about it, but the yeah. main character's dead. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. The Godfather. You're like, dude. <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. Shut up. It does. <laughs> He's fucking dead it's the actually, whole time. It's actually spooky now. On the day of his daughter's wedding, why would they go to him? Because <laughs> he's oh. how do you have that kid, man? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Some tweets I've been enjoying. Speaking of Home Alone, Young Chomsky has the picture of Kevin talking to his neighbor, the snow shovel killer, and his neighbor saying, "My son won't speak to me. He's too woke." <laughs> 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 And then Skylar Higley uh, uh, tweeted, you know, if they just introduced seatbelts now, conservatives would be so mad. And that's just a good point. <laughs> they would not be wearing those shits. They would be. Oh, well, there's actual footage of that floating around of when they mandated seatbelts. And you have people saying the exact same yeah. language that they were saying around COVID, you know, like government yeah, can yeah. tell me what to do. I can trust, you know, I trust myself. Propaganda, you know, it's in, it's like war. It's incredible. Same with like drinking and driving. Like if I want to have a beer, Right. After yeah. work, and you're like, while I'm what? driving yeah. home from work <laughs> and right. to work, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnote. footnote. Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy? Uh, this is a track from a German-English new jazz vocalist, I believe. Uh, let me make sure I have the name right. Yeah, this is Freya Roy, Roy F-R-E-Y-A, and it's called Calling My Name. Just a dope kind of new jazz. I'm like, interestingly enough, all the music apps that I use are like, you can listen to a lot of English new jazz, European new jazz. Here are some new artists for you to check out. And this one actually I, I liked a lot. So this is Freya Roy with Calling My Name. All right. Well, we will link off to that in the footnotes. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever. Uh, fine podcast or give it away for free. That's going to do it for us this morning. Back mm-hmm. this afternoon to tell you what is trending. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. 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 The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. And I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A A podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.